0: Okay guys, so today I have the pleasure of talking to you about Daniel in the lion's den, which is probably one of the most well-known and iconic stories in the entire Bible. And I would be very surprised if you hadn't heard it yet. But if you haven't, then I'm really excited to share it with you. But for those of us that have, I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of Daniel in the lion's den. I actually think the game Sleeping Lions, you know, the one is used to keep kids quiet. Um, Is that where that game comes from? Um, But maybe you think of the classic kids story Bible illustrations with the hole in the ceiling and with light shining through a young, happy Daniel surrounded by a family of cheerful lions. Maybe in your version, Daniel was on his knees um, and the lions look a little less like they're singing Happy Birthday. or maybe he's just as fast asleep, surrounded by some pretty chill lions who are basically just giant soft toys. And maybe the lions are fast asleep too. But leaving kids' illustrations, what about Ninja Daniel, ready to take on a dozen angry lions single-handedly? Or maybe what comes into your mind is an inspirational meme with a dramatic lion donned in a luscious mane staring back into your soul. Maybe, maybe I've totally missed the mark of what you think of the story, and I'd love for you to tell me at the end. For me, I'm partial to this illustration. I, I, I think it's got a nice charm to it. Um, but you'll also notice that it's got a few details that the other ones didn't. Let's just spot the difference in your heads. Um, so you'll notice there's a very big age gap between the two Daniels at the time of this story daniel would have been in his 80s not quite the sprightly young lion tamer and the other main difference is that it's not set in a cave there wouldn't actually have been any caves in the area where this took place so it was much more likely in a tall stone rim with a high up window these misconceptions aren't too problematic and the one about the cave doesn't really make any difference to the story But maybe you view this amazing, miraculous story as just a fable, a fantastical adventure, just a tale made up to encourage people. Here at Grace Church, we believe that the Bible gives us stories about real people in real places in history. And these stories, they help us know what God is like. And we have the privilege of going through this amazing story now. So let me kick us off. We're in Daniel 6, which is on page 891 of the Bibles in front of you. So if you want to follow along, please do. But I will have it up on the screen as well. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So we started here with Darius. He's the king, and he's in charge of his kingdom. And he is delegating the work of ruling his kingdom to 120 people. And between them and Darius is three administrators, one of which is Daniel but Daniel is no ordinary government official. He is the best, the best of the best, and everyone around him can see it, even King Darius. Darius sees how brilliant Daniel is, so brilliant, in fact, that he is considering putting him above everyone else in the kingdom. Daniel must have been truly exceptional. But for the reason he was headhunted for promotion, He was also the object of the jealousy of others. So the other administrators and satraps tried to stop Daniel. They teamed up and tried to come up with a single piece of dirt on Daniel, but they came up with nothing, not even a single misstep. And remember, he's not just fresh on the job. He's in his 80s, so he's had plenty of time to mess up, but no, nothing. Daniel's work and life are above reproach, and by that I mean no one could possibly criticize any of his actions. Now, Daniel was different from everyone else in his kingdom. He was a Jew, and he believed in the God of Israel, the same God that we believe in here at Grace Church. But everyone else around Daniel was a pagan, and they believed in a range of different gods from a range of different cultures. But being in this world didn't stop Daniel from obeying his God in every way he possibly could. But people jealous of Daniel knew this, and they had an idea of how they could use it against him. So these administrators and satraps went to the group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being in, during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So the people that are jealous of Daniel, they've gone to the king and said, all of us have talked about this. Here's an idea for a new law. But this was a lie. They hadn't all talked about it and agreed on it. You can be sure that Daniel was definitely left out of this decision. It actually reminds me of the Lion King with scar and the hyenas plotting to take over the pride land leading mufasa to his death and convincing simba that it wasn't his fault that it was his fault (laughs) just like the plot against daniel there's incredible tension coming from the desire for power from scar and from the people plotting against daniel they manipulate and twist those around them with secrets and lies and half truths And they're all jealous of the ones that hold that power. Whether that's Mufasa, loved by everyone, or Daniel, who is annoyingly perfect and has the love of the king. And of course, the life and death stakes that come into play. Death was always the end goal for both Scar and Daniel's colleagues. But Darius, he doesn't know about the plot. And the jealous conspirators have found his weakness as well. Darius may love Daniel, but he loves himself even more. And the idea of everyone in the entire kingdom praying to him and him alone for 30 days sounds pretty sweet to him. The catch is that back then, when a king made a law, it was irreversible. It was irreversible because they basically saw the king as being a spokesperson for the gods. And the gods were never wrong, so in order to be consistent with that, the king could never go back on his words. So what does Daniel do? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel does nothing different from before. He carries on praying to God visibly and in plain sight. He doesn't stop praying. He doesn't make it quieter so that he doesn't get caught he also doesn't do it louder to make a point he just keeps doing what he's doing because he is more obedient to god than to a man i wonder what you would do if you were told that you couldn't come to church next week that if you came to church you would be killed in one of the worst ways you could think of and i'm not trying to imply that there's a right or wrong answer here But i just want you to feel the weight of that decision maybe you'd run away just lie low for a week i can praise god at home or even just have a week off or maybe you'd be defiant do you know that feeling that you get when someone tells you not to do something and it's the only thing you want to do i do this all the time I got some posts the other day that in big red capital letters on the front said, do not throw in the bin. Um, well, you know exactly where that ended up. Um, so maybe I would turn up at church if someone told me I couldn't, just to make a point. But this isn't Daniel at either extreme. When he knows he's not allowed to pray, he doesn't get quieter and he doesn't get louder. He prays out loud with the window open facing Jerusalem, just as he always did. He isn't trying to make a point. Why do you think he does this? He knows the law is in place. He knows it's irreversible, no matter how much Darius likes him. And he knows if he carries on with his normal routine of praying to God three times a day, he'll end up being fed to the lions. Essentially, Daniel saw it as a greater loss to give up intimacy with God than to give up his life. His relationship with God was such an important, central part of his life, and for that to be diminished even slightly was not worth even the greatest of costs. His obedience to God comes before his obedience to anything else. Going against the rule of the king was a last resort for Daniel, just as it was was a trap from his jealous colleagues. Daniel is not an example of disobeying authority. He actually liked the king, and the king liked him. He was different from everyone else, but he wasn't a rebel or a troublemaker. When Daniel makes decisions, he puts his obedience and relationship to God first, before his obedience or relationship with anything else. That's why he chooses to keep praying despite the threat of the lion's den. And it's this decision-making process that will shape his life because he will be doing everything for the glory of his God. He's not doing anything for money or power or success. He's decided on what his priority in life is and shaping everything he does around that, big or small. This results in Daniel worshipping God visibly in his everyday life. So before we move on to the lion's den, I want to ask the question, What does this look like practically? What does it look like to worship like Daniel in our everyday lives? Or to reframe the question for today, what does it look like to be a Christian Christian in a non-Christian world? It looks like praying. One of the main things that we have seen in this story is Daniel prioritizing praying to God, setting aside time for his relationship with God. What would it look like for you to do that? to make time to talk to the one who made you, who made everything, who loves you and it's all the time in the world for you. Daniel had a time and a place he would talk to God. He had a routine and maybe that's something you would find helpful as well. To know when and where in your day you will talk to God. Not just when something bad happens or when you want something from him, maybe it's before a meal or before you go to bed when you brush your teeth or when you're driving to work a way for you to be consistent and uncompromising in your time with god but maybe you're more spontaneous than that and if that works for you that's great we just need to recognize that whether we have a routine or are spontaneous or both we want to be consistent you don't want to look back over your week and realize oh poop i can't even remember the last time i prayed But not because you're trying to meet a quota or a ticker box, but because you want to spend time with the amazing, loving God that made you. Daniel prays and he does it visibly. Daniel prioritizes his relationship with God, even when the world around him tells him not to. And this communicates something to the people around him. It communicates the amazing value Daniel finds in God and this is something worth sacrificing for Daniel makes God both offensive and incredibly appealing what does it communicate to the people around you when you prioritize God whether it is going to church in spite of chronic illness or anxiety or turning up at life group when all you want to do is not see anyone after a hard day at work when you prioritize God You show the people around you what is important to you, that your relationship with God is valuable and is precious and is worth more than an easy life. And what about praying visibly? If you're anything like me, then that concept might seem really scary. But this isn't about going a million miles out of your comfort zone and shouting to God from the rooftops. This is about being consistent and persistent in praying to God and letting the people around you into that. Whether that is saying thanks before a meal that you've invited your non-Christian siblings to or letting your colleague in hospital know that you're praying for them. There may well be a couple of people that you know that would hate this, but most of the pushback will be from your own head rather rather than from the people around you. And I'm telling myself this as much as I'm telling you. You are not facing the lions in the lions' den and most people will be absolutely fine with you letting them into your prayer life. It may even be the start of a conversation that changes their life. That being said, I think there are two parts to the story of Daniel and the lions' den. The first half is the daily grind, the hard parts of everyday life and facing a situation with no miraculous intervention. The second half is dramatic, and you would think action-packed with a miracle in there for good measure. Which one do you think it's easier to keep praying in? To keep living for God and to prioritize your relationship with Him? I think it's harder in the day-to-day of life than in the once-in-a-lifetime, life-threatening lion's den. It's easy to pray to God when you're in crisis, when you have nowhere else to run, no hope. But what about when you're cozied up in the sofa and Netflix has served you up another documentary that you just can't say no to, or your kids have decided that they just don't need to sleep tonight? It, it's in the day-to-day that it is hard to put God first, not in the lion's ten. Daniel was able to keep going because he viewed his relationship with God as amazing and priceless it is of eternal value while everything else around him one day will fade away his enemies and the lions that we're about to see daniel face they died thousands of years ago but god he is still very much alive and will be alive for the next trillion years and more so i'm going to continue reading from verse 11. Then these men went to the group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of your exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, according to the law of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, for any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. Um, when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel is exceptional, isn't he? To be uncompromising in his relationship with God, and to face the consequences of the lion's den. And I don't get the impression that these were happy, sleepy, cuddly toy lions. Daniel says an angel literally had to close their mouths. And by the end of the chapter, we see the lions overpower and kill the people that falsely accused him. I may have implied it was easy earlier, but this is a terrifying situation. There is no way out of that. Daniel is exceptional but he is not the exception. Even though we don't get any dirt on Daniel, we know he was human, he was imperfect. He is an incredible example of what it looks like to live for God in a world that is hostile to people trying to live for God. But he still suffers in the brokenness of his own heart and in the brokenness of the world. He had a good relationship with God, but it wasn't restored from that brokenness just because he was good at praying or doing his nine to five, Daniel was exceptional, but there would be one who came after him who would be the exception and restore the relationship between man and God in a way that Daniel never could. And that person is Jesus. And Daniel's story here points us to Jesus. Let me show you how. Daniel, had enemies that wanted to get rid of him. So they plotted against him and manipulated the people around him. Jesus had enemies that wanted to get rid of him. So they plotted against him and manipulated the people around him. Daniel had never been seen to do anything wrong. So his enemies had to invent a new law just to catch him out. Jesus, in his whole life, he'd not done a single thing wrong. So his enemies had to hurl accusations at him. Daniel, when he knew about the plot against him, prayed to God. Jesus, when he knew he was going to be arrested and crucified, prayed to God. Daniel had a stone seal him into the lion's den as he was put to death. The same stone was rolled away and Daniel was still alive. Jesus had a stone seal him into his tomb after he was crucified. The same stone was rolled away and Jesus was alive. Did Daniel die in the lion's den? No. Daniel was as good as dead. But God, the real king of everyone and everywhere, brought Daniel out of the den. Did Jesus die on the cross? He did. Jesus really died on the cross, but God brought his son out of death itself. Daniel was exceptional. Um, Daniel was exceptional, but not the exception. He points us to someone even better, to Jesus, the exception. The only person ever to walk this earth who wasn't trapped by brokenness both daniel and jesus faced death but jesus did what daniel never could jesus defeated death once and for all he gave us a way to heal our brokenness and to heal our broken relationship with god jesus is the reason we can even talk to god he makes it possible We can enjoy God today because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. So I'm just going to pray for us now as we finish. Father, I thank you that we can be in a relationship with you because of Jesus. I thank you that there is nothing that we can do to earn that. Father, I pray that you would help us be more like your Son. I pray that you would be shaping us to be more like Jesus every day, that we would be growing in Christ-likeness. I pray that when we look at the story of Daniel in the lines, then we are pointed forward to Jesus and that we would want to be more like Daniel and ultimately more like you, Jesus. I pray that you would challenge us to prioritize talking with you and that you would be breaking down fears and obstacles that get in our way. I pray that we recognize how amazing you are and would value you above anything else. I pray that this wouldn't be something that is entirely hidden, but that that we would live in a way that people can catch a glimpse of our relationship with you. I pray that they would see how amazing you are, how valuable that relationship is. And Jesus, please use us to bring our friends and family to know you. Oh, man.